Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here's San Francisco and the incomparable forward, Rick Barry. Behind the line, they burn him again, and it's Barry. And now Rick Barry, the league's leading scorer. What a superb basketball player he is. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us here in Warriors 24. I'm Rick Barry with Cyrus Satchez, my uh, surfing guru. Uh, <laughs> I still got to get you hooked up with my son, Brent. And, uh, yes. you know, so and the, Canyon. You have two Canyon. sons surf. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's, he's got to focus more on trying to do something with the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves G League team in Des Moines and hopefully get some playing time. And Brent's career is over, so he can surf all he wants right now. So, <laughs> except he's busy, you know, with the VP of basketball operations. He's got to he's got an important job there with uh, with, with the, the spurs, spurs. And, and and rick i'm gonna i can't wait to have to interview brent because i have two podcasts on the believe uh podcast network the other one's a surfing podcast but brent barry on his twitter page has this photo of a surfer like tucked really deep into a huge wave and if that's him if that's a photo of brent like your son is a legit surfer um well yeah. I, I can't actually vouch for how good he really is but okay brent's, brent's a pretty good athlete so i would assume that if he's uh you know if he's into it he's probably gotten to be pretty good at it i would think <laughs> i'd agree with that yeah he's yeah. got your dna that's a good thing well he's he's uh he's he's pretty pretty unique individual but let's talk a little bit about what's happening with uh, our warriors and then yeah. we can talk about what's going on in the nba because as i told you this is more or less going to be an analytical season, uh, putting the team under the microscope, the players to try to evaluate it. I mean, some of these guys now are getting an opportunity that would never have existed for them. A lot of guys are going to get to play extensive amount of minutes, be given a chance to prove whether or not they're worthy of being on the Warriors team or even in the NBA for that matter. So a lot of very uh, fortunate young men right now. But boy, you want to talk about going from the penthouse to the outhouse. Has that happened <laughs> It's so quick with the Warriors. Unbelievable. Uh -huh. Seriously. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And we, we should talk about some of those things, but I know you have some questions for me that you want to get into. So let, let, let's get into that first and then we can start talking about some of these other things that I'd like to discuss. Well, yeah, well, well for starters, I mean, um, I know last show that we had, you definitely painted a very doom and gloom picture for the Warriors and rightfully so. But since that podcast, I mean, we've had one youngin on the team. I mean, the team's filled with, I think, nine players who are 23 and younger. All of them are new, or at least most of them are new. Um, but one of them sticks out to me, and I'm sure it sticks out to you as well, and that's Eric Pascal, 41st pick in the draft. He was taken in the second round. Apparently, he was on the Warriors' radar as, as early as a year ago, but they also figured that the, he wouldn't be taken until the 41st pick. That's why they took Jordan Poole in the first round. I'd love to get your feedback on Eric Pascal. I mean, it's three games in a row now. I know this last game against the... The Rockets were taping on uh, November 7th today. Uh, the Rockets game, he didn't have the greatest game, but I think he still put up 19 points, which isn't bad for, again, a 41st pick rookie. What are your thoughts on Eric Pascal? Yeah, no, he's a bright spot. There's no question. As I say, they're, they're going to discover, you know, who is someone that they're happy to have. They need to get some size. I mean, one of the things that, you know, well, I'll bring it up because I have all of these stats that I was going over, mm -hmm. is that they're, they, they – their rebounding has helped them, I think, actually, because they're they're sixth in rebounding. So, and he's one of the factors as to why they're doing a much better job with the rebounding. Uh, he does a nice job in that area, and that's what he's got to continue to focus on: get some rebounds, score some points. But he's he's shooting sixty-one percent from the field. Incredible, I mean, you know, So that and for a big guy, 
he shoots 33 from, from three-point range, which is equivalent to 50% from two-point range. So that's outstanding. And then he's shooting what makes my heart feel good, sure, Pat, <laughs> is 88 from the freaking free throw line. Right. In fact, that's one of the things that's keeping the Warriors from getting really killed in some of these games is that they really are one of the best free throw shooters. They're number two in the league. I mean, the team is shooting 86.3%, Cyrus. That is just outstanding free throw shooting and the bench actually the bench for free throw shooting is uh it's is shooting and doing a great job there's they're second to 88.5 percent for the bench so that's a great thing now the problem is they need to get to the line more often because they're taking too many outside shots and not shooting very well and that's the part that's killing them as well 46 they're shooting we see they're 28th from the field 28th 42.9 percent uh. I mean, and they're still scoring points. I mean, it's not like they can't score points. Right. They're putting some points up, 112. That's 11th in the league. Right. But the, but the problem is, is they're giving up 120-plus points a game, and they're letting the other <laughs> team shoot almost 50%. So that's, <laughs> that's their Achilles heel. So that's, that's good. the thing that we have to watch. They have to make a focus in that area of the game, and they've got to get other people. Other than, you know, Pascal, who has done a great job. Eric's done terrific. So now they know they got a nice guy who can play some power forward, who plays like big men today, who can go outside and shoot the ball from three-point range. I mean, I still like to see some guy come in there and dominate down in the post. Um, they're not a factor in the in, inside. I mean, people are going to the basket. They're not worried at all about the Warriors when it comes to that. So because you know what they are? And blocks, they're terrible. Uh, Last. Last? They're last. They have 22 blocks in eight games. It's the worst of any team in the league. Well, so, I mean, you play the Warriors, you say, I'm sure if I'm the coach, guys, attack the freaking basket. Okay? Nobody that can stop you. You get by that first line of defense. This is why I'm trying. I, I've been professing this every time we've talked. How critical team defense is for them. Because team defense is about not letting the other team get to the basket. It used to right. be when I, when I played, Cyrus. Everything was done. We funneled everything. We wanted them to get to Nate Thurman to block shots and intimidate him. Everything was funnel it into your big guy. Let him intimidate <laughs> it. Let him stop him from shooting shots. Change their shots. Then it changed to, hey, don't let him get to the big guy. Keep him outside. Make right. him shoot from the perimeter. Don't let him get to the basket. Don't let him challenge your big men. Totally different philosophy right now. And so you have to have the team defense. You don't want them going to the basket, especially when you have no one there to stop them. Yeah, we just, I think Willie Cauley-Stein made his debut uh, just in the last week or so. He's the only individual on that team with any height, right? And we, we, we've talked about this repeatedly. I mean, they got Chris in there who's 6'9". Um, Willie Cauley-Stein is seven feet, and that's it for height. I mean, I mean you're not going to rebound. When you're that small, right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, they got, you know, the, the smell jick is he's, and he hasn't even, you know, I don't know what the deal is going on with him, but he's, I don't know either. He's 6'10, but I mean, he's 215 pounds. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, that's not exactly some uh, muscle man, but maybe he can block shots. And of course, Spellman's only 6'9. So again, they don't have the size. So if I'm playing against them, I'm going to say, hey, guys, let's go. Go to the basket against these guys. Go to the right. basket. And they've got to go and challenge people and get themselves because they're a great free-throw shooting team. So what better way to get some points, especially if you're struggling, you know, like Poole. Poole should be trying to get out on breaks and get to the basket as much as he can because he's shooting horribly. I mean, absolutely horribly. So he, he's been a disappointment in that regard. I think you'd have to agree with that. When you shoot 25.8% so far in the season and only 31 from threes and you're a two-guard, those aren't numbers that really make it. 
No, I agree. I mean, it, it, anything below 30%, you, you brought up a really uh, fascinating statistic, I think last show where you said, what is it? If you shoot a three point percentage of 40% or better, that's the equivalent of shooting better than what? 50%? Oh, way better. Field? No, 30, 33% or, is 50% from 33. 30. Even yeah, there you go. 33. So, so, so basically 33 is your threshold. No, thir- 30 is the threshold. 30. If 30, you can't okay. shoot at least 30, you have no business ever taking a three point shot. Unless that you have the ball in your hand and the shot clock is going off and you got to throw up a prayer. You, you don't shoot the ball. And as a coach, you should, that, player should never be allowed to shoot and even 30 is 30 is being generous because that's like 44 45 percent you know but so you can live with that if a guy's shooting 40 45 46 percent from twos that's fine not bad but you'd like to get them up closer to 50 so that's why 33 percent if you're if you're 33 that's great you can shoot it because that's 50 from twos and any coach will live with that now when you start getting up and you're shooting 40 and over that's fantastic shooting. It really and truly is. And that's one of the things that truly is actually, it's helping the Warriors in that regard. Their three-point shooting percentage, it's not that great. I mean, yeah. remember the Warriors of, of five years going, I mean, they were up at the 40% range, right? I mean, really good. So right now they're 21st. They're only shooting like 34.4%, which is good though. It's not bad, but it's not, but, it's not real good. But it's, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's not great, but it's, it's okay. It's more than acceptable. So that's helping them a little bit that they're shooting the threes. In fact, yeah, the scary thing is, is that their field goal percentage is like, what, 42.9. So that, that's not good. I mean, that's not even, that's, that's just not good. <laughs> that's not good at all. No. What is, Rick, Rick, in your humble opinion, uh, what is, if you're a decent three-point shooter, and Jordan Poole, by the way, is shooting 31% right now, which is not that good, but he's also heaving up. That's six, from threes we're talking about. From threes, yeah. And, and he's heaving up six three-point attempts per game. In your opinion, what is, what's the maximum amount of three-point shots you want your shooters taking? I guess it would depend on the percentage, but yeah. typically is six a lot? Well, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, don't ever say to me my humble opinion because most people say Rick's not humble. But, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so, so here, here's, the, here's the deal. Uh, here, it's the quality of the shots. Some of the shots I, I you know watched – Watch the game, the last game. It's got to see a lot of the game. And mm-hmm. it, boy, I mean, he took some Steph Curry kind of shots. I mean, deep behind a three-point line. <laughs> I mean, deep. if you're if you're not a really great percentage shooter from threes, you don't make it more difficult by shooting from a further distance. It's hard enough to shoot it from just behind the line. So right. why are you shooting it from four and five and six feet behind the line? He took a couple of shots. When you're shooting not that kind of percentage, which is not a great percentage. I would not be happy if I'm Steve Kerr seeing him jack up, you know, six feet behind the line, jacking up a three. I thought I saw some 30 you know, footers. You're right. Were, he was heaving. Oh, I'm talking about way behind the line. And, and you know, one of the points he got in the last game, I mean, he, he jacked another one up there. And I mean, the game was a 20 point game. It meant nothing. And the other thing is, is when are you, t- when are you making your shots? You're yeah. making your shots when you're down 15 or you're making your shots when it's a close game. Right. I mean, yeah. seriously, I mean, that has a lot to do with it. Now, if a guy's going good, I say, go. Keep shooting it. <laughs> yeah. You know, the old thing about going to the hot hand, I don't even know if that exists sometimes. The, that's the beauty of the Warriors of past days, days gone by. Hey, when, when Clay got going, who got him? They got the ball to him. That's why he had those crazy quarters where he scored, you know, 30-something points a game. A quarter, that's insane. That is insane. But that's because you went to the hot guy. If the guy's going good, why in the world would you not do that? It just makes so much logical sense to not do that is criminal. And if a coach doesn't do that sometimes when a guy's going good, I question whether or not he should even be coaching. 
Seriously. I agree. You got I'm a with guy you. that's making shots. You put the ball in his hands, especially if you got a guy that's not selfish. And the Warriors are not. We're not a selfish team. That's one of the reasons they were so good. Now I noticed also something watching closely. Again, I'm trying to evaluate this stuff. You know what you don't see with this Warriors team that you saw in the past? Occasionally you'll see them pass, 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 make some nice passes, and they wind up jacking a long shot, or unless the guy runs at them, they'll go by him. You know, Robinson the third did that a nice on a nice play late in the game, but but where's the passing and the cutting? The the the, the Warriors of the past passed, moved, cut, passed, moved, cut. There's a there's a bunch of passing, but I don't see a lot of the other movement taking place. Yeah. I, I And I do see a lot of passing, that Rockets game. But you're right. I guess that was the one variable missing was the cutting. It's, yeah, it's a good one point. thing to pass because the thing is, is if you're passing, you get into a guy, and then he winds up, what, more than likely taking an outside shot. But when you're doing it and you're setting your man up and you're passing, you get the guy and you fake out like you're going out, you get him to lean. Now you back cut him and go to the basket. Well, now that next pass is a freaking dunk or a layup. <laughs> yeah, I'd- no, it makes sense. That's an art form. I'm going to tell you right now, it is an art form that a lot of players don't have. A lot of players don't do a good job of learning how to move without the ball, how to learn to set your men up. That's the part of the game that you have to be able to understand. That's one of the things I'm proud of my son, Canyon. Boy, is he good at that. I mean, I remember when he was in college, one of the announcers said, he made, said Canyon Berry may be one of the best guys moving without the ball in the country. He really can set his man up and move without the ball. And also, it helps to create opportunities. And then you get a guy going. Now you can pop back out. He's going towards the basket. You're open for a wide open shot. It's, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skill that has to be developed and learned to be able to take advantage of your defender. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if, if a lot of players just simply don't have that mental capacity. Like your kids, you have four sons, if I'm not mistaken, who have played professional five. basketball. Five. Five. It was Canning's the fifth now. Okay, yeah. five. Okay, so, and, and most, if not all of them, their mental acumen is very high and very strong. Like you rarely see them make mistakes on the court. Well, um, here's the thing about it, making mistakes, Cyrus, is that it's one thing if you make a mistake. I want to see that the player knows that he made a mistake. That's what I love about all of my boys is that there's no way a coach could ever be more upset with my sons than they were with themselves because they knew every time when they did something wrong and you could see they were upset with themselves because they know they screwed up and they, mm-hmm. they, they know better than that. And it's not so much of the mental acumen. It's a, it's a situation. Yeah. Yeah. You got to learn the game and that's, that's a part of it. It's, I'm not saying that it, doesn't take that mm-hmm. but what the difference a the differentiation is it's whether or not you have the unteachable do you have a natural feel for the game that can't be taught yeah that's what i look for at five i i yeah, well later I, I did it before when i was doing stuff with the oaks the year i set out and went out and scouted players and do it and i think i got a pretty good feel for who can play and who can't and that's the thing I look for most. That's why I am so shocked, and I don't care if I tick off people, but there's a lot of people out there who have been scouts over the years that I mm-hmm. question their ability to really recognize talent, especially with some of the choices some of these teams have made over the years on the personnel that they pick. Could you, could you name a team if not a, if not a scout? Yeah, well, no. Hey, well, the Warriors for a long time made the worst choices horrible. imaginable. Horrible. I mean, horrible choices. Yeah. Oh. And a lot of other teams make horrible choices. That's why I'm saying, how in the world did they <laughs> – how in the world did they come up with the, the conclusion 
<laughs> that some of these guys would make great pro basketball players. I swear, I just don't understand it. I mean, because some of these players don't have any clue about how to play the game the right way, and they get picked in the first round of the draft and get guaranteed millions of dollars. Are you out of your mind? Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from the top. You know, I strongly believe that in, in professional sports, doo-doo rolls from the top. When you have an owner who, at a minimum, at least spends the money. But hopefully beyond that, they care about winning and they want to put the right people there. I always feel like the best leaders in this world hire, or the best managers at least, hire people who are smarter than they are, right? Of course. That's, and, what, smart, that's what a smart leader does. I mean, yes. you look at football. Look, what Bill, look at all the coaches that Bill Walsh had when he coached the 49ers that went on to become head coaches. Yes, the coaching tree is, is amazing. Under Thank Bill Walsh. you. You, you choose people. Now, yes. unfortunately, what happens is that a lot of times, it's happened in the NBA for sure, that a lot of the staff on other coaches and stuff, because the team happened to be successful, these guys got their jobs figuring, well, maybe they learned from that guy. Well, none of them weren't that good. I mean, you really still have to be able to evaluate whether or not just because he was on a, on a team that won doesn't mean he was a really good coach. Right. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. And, you I, know, I'm telling you, hey, I've had some head coaches before in my life and everything that I am telling you right now. I don't know how. I mean, one of them got coach of the year one time. I'm saying, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that goes across all sports, right? You have that one fluke year that gets you that award. Um, yeah, and then you live on it for the rest of your life. Yep, yep, and you, and you, and you get a lot of jobs. And then it's the good that. old boy network, you know, and they all hire their buddies, you know, and the guy becomes a general manager, so he hires his buddy, you know, as the coach. I mean, some of these guys, it's like, I told, I, I made, I used to joke about this all the time that the NBA was really ahead of so many things and so progressive and all, even in the ecology, in the ecology movement and everything, mm -hmm. as far as, as far as being able to stay ahead of the curve and doing stuff. And they, <laughs> they recycled guys, man, before recycling was in, they kept hiring guys who were terrible and they kept getting new jobs all the time. It was oh, amazing man. to me. And so much of it is, is ego, right? It's just, it's just not being comfortable hiring someone who you know would be perfect for the job, but you might have some issue with that person. So because of that, again, you're putting your ego ahead of success, ahead of what's well, great for the team and organization. It's more and more friendship than anything else. It's a good old boy network. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm thinking like, for example, like a, like Phil Jackson when he left the Bulls in, in 98, right? If you're, I mean, if you're, if you, you, he's clearly one of not the greatest coaches in the history of the game, but you're putting your ego ahead of what's logical, right? You're hiring a Tim Floyd over a Phil Jackson. I just, I see things like that. And that's where I bring up the ego thing, but you're right. It, networking, nepotism, it's, it's a huge part of it too. I don't, I don't doubt that well, for a second. It, well, it is. And here's the thing. I mean, the true test of a great coach is two things that happen as a coach. And Phil Jackson, in his case, was fortunate enough. I mean, because Phil didn't have great success all the time. I mean, I mean, I mean, so if it's because when you get the right people, it's not screwing it up and utilizing that talent in the best way possible. That's the first thing a coach has to learn how to do. But the true test of whether a guy is really good or not is if the general manager gives him chicken, you know what, you know, <laughs> that comes out of the back end of the chicken uh -huh. says, make me into a, make this a team is how does he do when he doesn't have the talent? That that's the true test. And, and it's not wins and losses that go by. And that's the unfortunate thing is that the coaches are the ones that get fired and should be the general managers. If the coach doesn't have the decision-making process or authority to make the final decision on personnel, which I think they should give him. Because if he's the guy coaching and his job is going to be on the line, let him have the personnel that he wants. Right. So what happens is the general manager gives him a bunch of garbage 
and they try and they say, okay, let's go out and they don't win. Well, the thing is, it's the team making progress. Is he getting as much out of this team as you possibly can get by understanding what the talent is that he was given? Right. And so they get, here's the thing. Coaches a lot of times get way too much credit, but more often than not, they get way too much blame. It's fair. It's the fairest thing. I, I, I'm personally, I'm very encouraged right now with what I'm seeing from these Warriors youngsters. Why? Um, well, for starters. And, and who? Well, for starters, would you, a week ago, would you have thought Eric Pascal would be in the rookie of the year conversation? He's in it right now. He's had three games in a row scoring, well, three games in a row scoring 19 points or more. Great. And, and I agree with you. No, I so, agree 100% on him, but keep going. So uh, I know Jordan Poole, you're, you're down on him a little bit, but I do love his confidence. And in that Portland game, he did hit some big shots. So I'm encouraged. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being optimistic about this. Uh, and that's then, because, That's because you're a freaking diehard <laughs> Warriors fan. <laughs> you, so you, but what, did Jordan Poole not play good in that Portland game? Hey, wait a second. Yeah. How many games did they play? What did I uh, talk about? Eight for the did year. Did I talk I think, about consistency? Yes. Did I say, do you want a guy that gets you 20 and then four? Well, Eric Pascal's been consistent three games in a row now. I, and, I, and I agree with you with him. I said that's a bright light for them. What about this no Kai, Kai, about, what about this Kai Bowman kid? Are you liking him? Yeah, he's doing a nice job. Yeah. yeah. That's another one that I would agree with you. Yes, that's, that's a nice situation. But, you know, I mean, but you got Steph Curry. Yeah. And so it's a nice guy to have him come in off the bench, be consistent. Also, yeah, so that's nice. So we got two. Keep going. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm, for some reason, I'm brain farting right now. I'm drawing a yeah, blank well, on the I name of it. Well, I understand why you're brain farting. Because <laughs> you're not and I'll tell you another one that I'm waiting to see because he's shown, no, this one's shown some, 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 some times that I think uh -huh. that he's showing some, some bright stuff. But again, show me the consistency to do it. The guy How about Glenn, like, Glenn Alec Burks. Alec Burks, they might trade him, by the way. I could see them, the Warriors trading him at some point because he's well, starting to show some value. But Glenn Robinson III, still fairly young. I think he's starting to show some promise there. He, and, and yes, he, he is. But the thing is, is you've got to get enough people. Yeah, you got to get enough people to have the bench that we kept talking. Agreed. About. Look, look, this season is obviously a wash. I, I, like, when I talk about the Warriors, I'm looking, like, I'm looking at the team now. I'm seeing effort. I'm not seeing heads hung low. I'm seeing the bench actually excited for what's going on. I'm seeing this Warriors team going to Houston, playing a championship contending Houston team. I mean, we could have a whole other debate on that, but they put up a fight. They were leading late in the second quarter in that game. They beat a Portland team that you, I believe, thought is a championship contender. I don't know if that's still true or not. Well, they're struggling right now. They're not yeah. playing at their level. And the thing is, is they're playing the Warriors with nobody on them. I, I guarantee you that was the old, that was the old con job syndrome. I've talked to you about that. <laughs> yeah. But where I would the coach is saying, hey, guys, just because, hey, the Warriors don't have all these players and stuff, but these guys are not going to quit. We got to go out. We got to go play our best and get after them, right? And the players say, yeah, coach, yes, yeah, coach. Do you think there was one guy on that Portland team that actually believed that? No, I thought there was any way that they could lose to the Warriors with the with the team that they put on the floor. I no. would have I would have hoped they would have stepped up and woke up, woken up more for the simple reason that this Portland team was swept in the conference finals last year by the Warriors team that did not have Kevin Durant. I thought they would wake up a little more because of that. And yeah, have they a should be embarrassed fire. with the performance yes. they put on. I'm sure that Terry Stotts was not happy with his team performance in that game. Absolutely. That was an embarrassment for that was an embarrassment for the team, the way that they played. And, you know, so, but, but give credit, you know, I credit the Warriors. I mean, they're not quitting. They're playing hard. They're trying exactly. to do the best they can do. And they made it a little. 
They're not the key Western Conference, right? Now. I don't the point is, what you, right? Do you Damian Lee has done a nice job. Yes. Nice job. I mean, he's he's a good free throw shooter. He shoots up around eighty-five. He's shooting forty-four from threes. I mean, that's fantastic. Shooting. How about defense? You know, and four, defensively, he's got to four. What do you four, think? Hey, you know, the defensively. Why does everybody talk about defense? Oh, hey, Rick, are the you there? Team, yeah, I'm there. here. The whole team. Go ahead. It's team defense. It's not about defense and whether he's a defense. Man, defense doesn't mean anything. He's gonna good. The best defender in the world is gonna get beaten by a great offensive player. It's not about your individual defense. It's about the team defense. I'll harp on that and the harp on that until I drive everybody nuts about it. <laughs> so you're you gotta play team defense. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now, I watched some of the plays and I actually ran them, ran a few back, and I'm going, oh my god, I, the guy just came. Somebody drove in. And two guys, they're driving in from the right side, and two guys guarding the guys out on the perimeter on the opposite side of the floor didn't even drop in to help. <laughs> the further the ball, you know, the further the ball is away from you when you're guarding your man, the more you drop towards the ball. Yeah. To put yourself in a position to help to prevent an easy basket. And these guys were out there, you know, what did you guarding your guy out there 20 feet from the freaking basket, and you're nowhere near to be nowhere to be found. I mean, their yeah. team defense and help defense was horrendous. They, I, I noticed they've been implementing a lot of zone defense. Uh, are you? Are you? In your, what's your opinion on that? Do you like it? Hate it. Okay, there you go. That could be the problem then, right? Hate zone defense. Do you They're think in a freaking area? I mean, you, you know, where's the responsibility? Then you wind up getting killed on the offensive glass sometime because you, you nobody's right. bringing people off the boards. And if you got an aggressive team, in the other words, they can crush you doing that. Hate team. I hate. Zone defense. Hate him. <laughs> I, I wonder if Kerr Brown, Adams, and crew are doing this just to simplify things for now with this young team. Good. I, I you're right. I, I the zone defense is questionable well, first, to me. First of all, Cyrus, a zone a, a man-to-man, a, a sophisticated, really good man-to-man defense is a sophisticated zone. Right. With the switching. Yeah. I agree. Well, you're switching, you're dropping yeah. off, you're helping and doing stuff. You're really basically zoning with man-to-man responsibilities. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, do you mind if we shift gears for a second here? I want to bring up a you topic. You can do whatever you like. <laughs> well, it's your show. I'm, I'm a pl- I'm, I'm, you have no idea how grateful I am to be a part of this. Um, Bill Simmons, formerly of ESPN, is, he's quite possibly the most prominent uh, basketball journalist, media personality, whatever you want to label him. Um, but you and I have talked about him off the air, and, and you have some opinions on Bill, because apparently he referred to you in his book that came out 10 years ago, and he never actually talked to you, ever, right? Yeah, that's right. What did he write in the book? Well, he called me, he called me a, a, an appendage that a man has down between his legs. That's verbatim? That's what he said? Uh, yeah. Or you're, um, are you speaking kindly in this case? Well, he called me a nickname for the name Richard. Why would he do that? I don't know. Because he may have read some stuff or do it or whatever it was, but I mean, the man has never spoken to me, and so I just, I, I just lost total respect for him as a journalist when he did that. Because everybody's entitled to their opinion about things, but to to not even know me and just to go by things that he said, who's to say that the things that he read were totally accurate? I mean, I, I've had to deal with that my entire life, and so right. I'm kind of used to. It. I mean, people who've never spent more than a couple of minutes with me, I mean. 
even with the Warriors, Dave Twardzik, when he was the general manager, said, I wouldn't hire Rick Barry, you know, if I was, I mean, I, what? Dave Twardzik, never spent any time, doesn't even know me. I mean, Dave Twardzik really? was the general manager of the Warriors. He got a him. job with, got a job with the Warriors. I never got a job with the Warriors and hell I did a lot more for the Warriors than Dave Twardzik ever did. But that was obviously a horrible high. I mean, that was probably the Chris Cohan years. I mean, he played too, right? Didn't, didn't you guys play against each other for a little well, while? Yeah. Well, no, yeah. Twardzik played for the, for the, uh, for the Portland trailblazers. Right. Right. No, I look, obviously those, the, the Chris Cohan years, Every, I don't know if there was a single good decision made, except for maybe Larry Riley towards the end. I, don't, I can't think of any other good decisions <laughs> during all those years that were made. Well, they made a lot of bad choices. Oh. I mean, in fact, I mean, they had, they had some of the guys that they picked that they paid a ton of money to who, again, had no business being a, a, a pick in the first round and oh. spent that ridiculous amounts of money for them and then didn't utilize the personnel well. Uh, I mean, we could we could spend and, and do a whole yeah, week yeah, of yeah, show, yeah. a week yeah. of shows talking about the choices that the Warriors made over uh, the period when they didn't even make the playoffs forever, uh, and the fans were still there, yep. and they were there and they supported them, and so I'm hoping they're going to support them now. I know that they didn't exactly pack the arena there; a lot of people didn't show up for the game. <laughs> I mean, they may have paid for their tickets, but they didn't even go to the game. Right. So, but now the time, this is when you need the support. You know, they don't need as much support when you're winning. You need the right. support when you're struggling. And, and I do hope Joe Lacob to this day shows loyalty towards you for that moment when you stood up for him back in, a, what was it, 2012 when uh, uh, Lacob and crew, Lake was not, and crew, Lake was giving that speech to Oracle and they well, started booing Chris him. Mullins, Chris Mullins' retirement night. Right, right. It was a, it was a disservice to Chris. I felt badly yeah. for him. It was supposed to be his night. And, you know, I mean, come on. Monte Ellis, Steph Curry. Obviously, was- they made the right choice. <laughs> they just they did yeah and the fans uh, were booing because they let monte go and they kept steph right it was yeah and and you stood there and you stood up for him I, I, I said, my this whole, man's, well, the, they finally got an owner who's willing to spend this money yes and he seems like to he do cares. the right things and hire people to try to help them out and brought jerry in and did some good things and look what happens in what four i think it was what four short layers later they win a title again for the first time yeah in four three years. three short three years, years later yeah i didn't know how many it was all i know two cares yeah. is that give the people a chance i mean you know give the guy a chance he's trying to do it and doing the right things and god bless him for that and he's given them the greatest run in the history of the nba amazing five-year run nobody's ever the greatest celtic teams the run t the you know they had run tmc they didn't win championships but then they had the showtime lakers and you have the boston celtics two of the greatest teams that never put a run together like this so yeah, and so how can you be mad at Joe Lakeup for God's right. sake and Peter Goober? I mean, wait, I do hope that. So my, yeah, I do hope they do show you appreciation because you stood up for him when, when that fan base was pretty pissed off. Uh, but but again, going back, we're talking about Bill Simmons. Um, did did he do say we anything? Have to? Yeah, well, we do only because the soundbite we're about to play was on his podcast. But did Bill say anything nice about you in the book, at least, besides calling you a men's appendage? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what is, why he had the opinion that he had about me, but, uh, it's, it's okay. But well, hope, he's, he's back doing what he's doing now because he was not very good on television. <laughs> he's horrible. On t- I, don't, I think that's a general consensus. That's why we don't see him on TV anymore. But his podcast is popular. He, he found success as a writer. Anyways, he, so he released this, uh, it's the 10 year anniversary of his book, uh, the book of basketball. And he decided to, uh, to add a sequel to it, but not through, print but instead through a podcast so he released a podcast called the book of basketball 2.0 and one of those episodes had steve kerr on it and i think they were talking about the you know just all these this five-year run of greatness and and the topic of uh, kevin durant and draymond green came up 
And Kerr kind of opened up about this. You want to hear the soundbite? Yes, do it. All right. So this is uh, Steve Kerr talking with Bill Simmons. Well, it's different than the than the uh, the Pippin thing because um, th- this was two guys who were uh, you know about ready to fight. Yeah. And so it was more a case of uh, you know we're going to have to handle this. We're going to have to let everything simmer and then handle it later. And so we. So your your goal is to get them away yeah, from each like, other. Yeah, like let's just let's get out of here. Let's get on the plane, go home, and sort through it. Uh, so we got out of there pretty quickly. I think I addressed it, um, um, but but we didn't. You know, everybody there there was so much raw emotion in the in the locker room. We couldn't uh, we couldn't we weren't going to resolve anything that night for sure. And um, that was uh, the beginning. Actually, it wasn't even the beginning. It was probably uh, more a result of what we had started to feel late the season before um, where the team was starting to drift a little bit. We were losing some of that connection. And then um, it, you know, kind of continued into, into camp in the early part of the season. There was just sort of an unspoken tension that was there that, uh, that Draymond couldn't, couldn't deal with it. And he just snapped and it, it opened up a, a pretty, pretty big wound. One thing, you know, I've, I've now coached Draymond. This is my sixth year coaching the Warriors now. And um, so Draymond and I know each other really well. Um, he needs some conflict to motivate himself. And I, and I embrace that. Um, and he and I have gotten into it every single year, multiple times. <laughs> and it's okay because that's what, that's, right. you know, he needs the conflict to, to get motivated, to get energized uh, in this particular case, uh, with Kevin, it was too much. Um, and it's something that happened on national TV. And now, now you open up the, 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 the whole world to, you've invited the whole world to scrutinize your team. And, and so now there's so many distractions, uh, that it becomes really difficult to deal with. If this had happened at a practice, you know, you can, you can, cover it up. And uh, actually we had several things over the, over the past few years that have happened that uh, never made it out that, and we're very proud of that. Uh, But this thing, uh, because it was so public, uh, became a a season long story. You know, anytime we hit any rough patch, there was a reference to that night in LA early in the season. And is that still an impact? And it's just a question you have to keep asking or answering to the media and it, it's, it becomes a distraction. And, and so it, it followed us around, um, but uh, it was kind of the theme of last year. It really was. We just had a lot of that. Well, here's the thing about it that I don't understand is that why is Steve Kerr talking about this now? I mean, it's happened in the past. It doesn't have any bearing on anything whatsoever. And they were proud of the fact they said that all that stuff never came out. And the old adage that what happens in the locker stays in the locker We'll just leave it in the locker. We don't need to be talking about it now. It already was brought up by Kevin Durant when he was doing the, the first take show. And we talked about that, how they really didn't, they let him off the hook by not really asking some really in-depth questions about the other things that made him make the decision to leave. That was right. one of them. And we talked about the sensitivity of Kevin. He's a sensitive guy and doing it. But to allow that to impact your decision to leave a situation that I still can't understand why you would want to leave what the Warriors provided for him, a chance to be on the greatest team in the history of your, well, they already were for five years, but win more championships and be such a part of a dominant team. 
and again, he's entitled to do what he did. I'm not mad at him for doing it. I'm, I'm disappointed, you know, sad because I, I want the Warriors to be successful and I want the fans to enjoy this great run that they had and have it continue. Right. And that's all stopped now. But I, again, I, I, I don't know the other reasons why he decided to leave it, but if that was a major reason for doing it, I can't, I would not have let that affect me because Draymond is Draymond on the court. What does that have to do? All he was doing was getting in your face because he wanted to win. He wanted something to happen. And you can't take that kind of stuff personal. That, that's, that was about what happened on the court and what KD was doing with regard to the game itself and Draymond's reaction to it. And you got to accept that. Accept it and move on. I mean, are you going to let that? Well, he did let it. Let that impact a decision to give up something so incredibly special. So that's why I just can't. I, I can't understand that. So yeah, I listen. I listened to the entire thing, and and one thing Kerr mentioned was that Durant gets apparently just gets bored easily. And I guess after the first, they won the first championship in the in the twenty seventeen. Durant supposedly, and this is from Kerr's, Kerr, uh, Steve Kerr's words, Durant just didn't feel satisfied. And and I guess and I guess where that's where you and I are on the same page, and Durant is not in that. If I'm winning a championship, I'm the happiest person in the world because I reached my goal and Durant just didn't feel that way and, yeah, and he's entitled to feel that way that's what I'm saying he he's is, entitled he is, yeah. to feel that way I mean he's a great great player he's gonna be a hall of famer without yeah. question first ballot and but with all the things we've talked about again I mean we're going ahead and rehashing I mean he's leaving a fan base that's unbelievable mm-hmm. going back to a place where he's going to be under the microscope way worse than he ever was here and get scrutinized for everything that he does I mean, he doesn't understand just how tough the media can be back in the New York metropolitan area. He has no idea. The Bay Area. He has no so idea. So he's in for a rude awakening when it comes to that. And to go back and not know whether or not you're going to have a team that really will even be able to vie for a championship again. I don't think they're going to. He's going to be 32 years old if he comes back healthy. And who knows what they surround him with. Uh, I, I mean, I know you think you, that Nets seems going to be really good next year. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And you're right. That New York media is going to eviscerate them if they come out and they're not on fire. Ooh, you know? big word. Big word. Uh, nice. <laughs> well, I'm a professor. I, I hopefully I know, should drop yeah, some of these here or there. That's impressive. You know, we wanna, we, we, we've been talking about doing a new bit here, the 24-second shot clock, and me presenting yeah. a, a question to you. And you answering 24 seconds. I even got this little ticker right here. Do you hear that, that shot clock? Oh, I, I can hear the shot okay, clock. Okay, good. All right. So this it's queued up. So you got 24 seconds. So here's my question to you. Anthony Davis a few days ago came out and flippantly made a comment that because he's a free agent after this season, he might play for the Bulls. And my question to you is, are you okay with players showing a lack of loyalty in that regard and being open to leaving teams for other teams this publicly? I'm not in favor of that at all. I don't know what the heck he was thinking about. Focus on trying to make an impression with the fans and the team that you're playing with now and help them win a championship. All right. <laughs> Short and sweet. I, 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 I can, yeah, but I, and I could add to that. Firstly, it, he has to go and do what my wife told me that I have to learn how to do. Okay. Okay. What goes into your brain doesn't necessarily have to come out of your mouth. <laughs> it's, it's, your wife is a smart lady. Nice work. Yeah, she, she, she actually is a brilliant lady. Yeah. <laughs> she's a Hall of Famer, right? She's, she's the only woman to have her jersey retired at William & Mary. She's That's a, impressive. A, a great athlete and great person, beautiful. I mean... Uh, I definitely, uh, 
you know, we got out of my league with her. <laughs> Congratulations. I over, I over accomplished. <laughs> You've been doing that your whole life. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Um, are you ready for NBT squared? Do you have something uh, for us? Yeah. Well, go ahead. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> I love that. Jack, <laughs> my man, Jack. Are you really Tom friends Cruise. with him? You, you, you I, made I a comment. Jack. No, I know. I, yeah, I know Jack. I, I talk and spent time and, you know, I, I love him. I remember him from when he first started his acting career and, uh, and did it in that great scene in the diner when he's talking about trying to get something to hold the mayonnaise, keep the sin. You know, I mean, it was hysterical. I mean, it was a great one. Easy Rider. It's, it's awesome. Like, do you have his phone number in your cell phone? Uh, no, I don't have a cell phone. Number, okay, okay. That would be... But I, but, I, but I know him and have had some really interesting conversations with him. And he obviously is a diehard Lakers fan. Yes. For forever. I love him and as Billy an individual. Crystal and Billy Crystal, who I know well, actually Billy Crystal, who's the big Clippers fan, I'm sure yes. he's thrilled with what's going on with the Clippers right now. I got to meet Billy when I got the MVP. This is the thing about luck and stuff in life. So I got the MVP of the championship series, right, when we won the title. And uh, Sport Magazine always did something, and they gave out a Chevy Corvette, right, for the most valuable player. Well, okay. the year that I won it, they switched sponsors, and they did AMC, and I got a pacer. A pacer, okay. They don't and make AMC, those anymore. Yeah. No, yeah. AMC pacer compared to a freaking <laughs> Corvette. That just shows you how good my luck is. But at the banquet that they had there, the a entertainer, pacer. the entertainer for the banquet was Billy Crystal, who was on the soap opera the soap show, the TV show Soap. And and he was the entertainer. And that's how right. I met him and I've known him forever. In fact, my son Scooter was actually when he played the referee, the NBA referee, my son Scooter was like one of the extras and was playing one of the, you know, some of the games and some of the shots that Really? Had. Yeah. In the ref. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a that's a nice little tidbit. You know, I, I if you don't mind, I'd like to share a story real quick before you reveal uh your truthful statement for this week or something you can't handle. Uh Many years ago, when I was your executive producer at KNBR, you took myself, um, your future producer, R.C. Davis, who now hosts, I think, like an, a halftime show or something for Warriors broadcast on the radio. You took us out to dinner at Morton's. Amazing steakhouse. Still makes some of the best steaks ever. And I think Rob Schneider joined us for dinner yeah. as well. Yeah, Rob's and, a big basketball fan, a sports fan, too. And it's a local San, Francis San Franciscan, right? So he loves all those teams especially. And I, that memory will live live in my head forever i mean that was just such an amazing meal because rob schneider at he's that time hysterical well he's so funny i mean he's just funny, so funny. all the time yeah so funny and back then he was at the peak of his powers that was when like he was actually a a-list movie star right he had a couple movies come out that were like number one in the box office and gigolo gigolo or something yes exactly Yes, and he co-starred with Adam Sandler and like well, every he Adam Sandler. Sandler well, he's in, yeah, but he's he's got a bit part in every single movie. I still use this thing uh, that, that all the time with this accent when he played the cage. You go, you can do it all night long. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, all the movies and everything. He's in Adam has him in all of his movies with a, a little bit part or something. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's he was a, he's a very funny guy. So I just want to share that that to this day is one of my fondest memories ever. Yeah, having... be careful, you're gonna spoil my <laughs> reputation. <laughs> All right. So anyways, let's get back to this segment. You can't handle the truth. Oh, God, I love you, Jack, when you're doing that. You know what the <laughs> thing is that can't handle the truth is that officials can't handle mm. the truth. Mm. No, seriously. So what happens when they do it? And if you question them and do something, they have the ultimate, they have the ultimate response. Technical. Yeah. 
Officials most of the time will give a technical foul out a lot of times when you get them and they realize that they're wrong and their way of getting back at you is, is giving you a technical foul. Now, sometimes you deserve it if you use a you know, foul language or something like that. But a lot of times when you question them and they know that they're wrong and doing you and you confront them with it, their way of getting around it is they, they call a technical foul on you. It's a no-win situation. Well, that sucks. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. They, they can't handle the truth. They really, truly can't. I mean, you know, like, I mean, I remember when I was a rookie. So one time I go and I try to say it nicely. I mean, it was John Vanek was the official that did it. He just, I think, passed away and he was, you know, when I was younger and I, I drive in and I go, John, I said, come on. He, he, he hit me on the elbow and he goes, he never touched you. I said, what are you talking about? He never touched me. I said, what are you, I said, you're calling me a freaking liar. I said, I wouldn't be telling you if you hit it. Boom, technical foul. Uh, so I too said, oh boy, I'm, I'm gonna be, I said, I'm going to be in trouble in this league. <laughs> but I never, you know, I never, everybody thought I was great, but I never led the league in technical fouls any season ever in my entire career. Uh, who did lead the league most I don't of the time? Know. I, I, but I, it wasn't me because huh. I was too cheap. I wasn't making that much money. I didn't want to have to, and it was only 25 bucks back then, and I didn't even want to give that up. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you, you all you all you players who played before the late '80s got robbed when it comes to salary. I, I, that's a shame. Because in this Cyrus, day and age, the lowest the lowest paid guy in the league. Oh, in this day the and age, the lowest paid guy in the league will make the guy that never plays will make counting NBA property stuff that they get will probably make twice the amount of money of the best year that I ever had. The lowest paid guy in the league. Yeah, that's that's brutal. And, yeah, and it's, no, it's hey, good. God bless them. It's you know great good right. for them and everything. But I'm just saying how times change. It's yes. pretty amazing. Listen, yeah. in 1980, my last year, 79-80 was my mm-hmm. last year at the Rockets. 1980-81 season to save money, the NBA cut the rosters from 12 to 11. Otherwise, I would have played with the Boston Celtics. I was going to go and play with the Celtics, and then they cut the rosters to 11 because oh. I had my knee operated on. I hadn't felt that good in 10 years. And I was going to go play with their, but so many players did it. Bill Walton wound up doing it later. Scotty Webb right. had done it. Uh, Pete Maravich. I was going to go play with, and I, I would have been a really good addition to them because I'll tell you that summer at my, my summer, I never played again, but that summer at my basketball camp that I had and everything, I would have, I had guys like Walter Davis come up and, and uh, some of the other players who were current younger players doing it. Mm-hmm. And I was crushing them when we were scrimmaging at half, at, I'm uh, sure. at the lunchtime breaks and stuff. I hadn't felt that good in years and never played again. Oh, I don't know. That's crazy. For a little while there, they lowered or reduced rosters to 11. Yeah, to cut to save money. And now they've got 15 and they got two two way guys with 17, the two way guys. So it's a whole different world. And I mean, it really, it's crazy because, you know, people said, well, Barry can't play. I went to the Rockets. I went to the Rockets to be able to play in a championship team. That's where we talk about, let's talk about what happens. Okay. I was on a team, but I had a chance to go to the Rockets to play with Moses Malone, Calvin Murphy, two mm-hmm. Hall of Fame guys, Mike Newland. I mean, a whole Mike Dumbleby, a whole bunch of guys that were there, young Robert Reed and, and, and Dwight. I mean, I, just a bunch of really good players. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we should have been a championship caliber team. And I was willing to take a subservient role on that team because I wanted to win a championship. And so I was out in the top passing the ball around, was only forward in the league and top 10 in assists, but I hardly got to shoot the ball a lot. And so everybody's saying, oh, Barry can't play anymore. So I was there two seasons, averaged like 12 or 13 points a game doing whatever I did. And then I couldn't run a pick and roll play because of this great decision by the coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you know? How can I not? My, I made a living off the pick and roll play. So 
so one game in two seasons there, I got to start at two guard because Calvin was sick. Okay, and Mike Newland was the guy that came off the bench. And I tried to tell Calvin he could have extended his career just by coming off the bench and doing what he wants to do as anyway, which was they were going to go to him, let him shoot the ball. But Calvin wanted to start. And I love Calvin. Great guy. Amazing shooter. Okay. Uh, broke, my, broke my free throw single season record because I got in his head when I was playing with him there. And then the next season after I left, he broke my record. Of, oh. I, had, I had 94-7 and he wound up breaking that record. But oh. so anyway, so the, the one, one game I played, and I played the two guard because everything in that thing was geared to the two guard, the center, and the power forward who was Rudy Tomjanovich. Great, great shooter, too, and a great guy. So I start that game, and I play. I get 25 shots, the most shots I took in any game in two years. I had 37 points. I rest my case. Who was the coach? First year was Tom Nasalki. Second year was Del Harris. Uh, Del Harris. Yeah, he, had a, he, he coached for a while. I think he was coaching the Lakers, you know, wasn't yeah, he? he coached, yeah, he coached the Lakers. and has been around for a long time. In fact, I actually got him his first job because I was had a personal service contract with Ken Snitcher, the owner of the team, and he said, mm-hmm. we're going to get rid of the coach. And he said, who should we bring in? And I said, why would you bring anybody? Why don't you let Del coach the team? Uh, that's crazy. And so I, I could have chosen the coach. I did chose to coach, choose the coach for the team. You know, you know, so, but That's what then, star players do. That's what the stars do. Uh, yeah, well, it didn't work uh, out really great for me there. But Dell's a good guy. I like Dell as a person. All it's just that uh, we just we just didn't. I don't think we didn't use our personnel the type way we needed to do it. But he was a young coach learning how to coach, and obviously he got better and had a great career and got a wonderful honor by being in, you know elected into the Hall of Fame. I think as a contributor so good for okay him. yeah good for him yeah um and his son his son's a great guy too larry with the warriors yeah yeah absolutely uh do you want to wrap it up with what drives you crazy for the week oh man there's so many things that drive me crazy like... <laughs> let's play the music first all right all right, so I know you always have something that's good for driving you crazy, don't you? Hey, do you want to go? Do you want me to go first, and then I'm gonna uh, you get wrap one. it up? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it first this time because you it. did it last time. Go for it. So here's the thing that I did, and it's not necessarily about the game. It's about in sports in general, and especially if I go to a football game, uh, it it's, gets nutty. But even at basketball games or any sporting event, when you have to sit by a fan who's had too much to drink, and they get loud, right? <laughs> That, and that's that, you know, and they think, and they think that they have all of the answers to the team's problems, and then now it's bad enough when they're sitting in front of me. But my God, if they're behind you, that drives me crazy. Oh, you know, you you revealed something. Uh, I don't know if it was, I think it was two podcasts ago, which was fascinating to me. Which is the player behavior on the bench if they're not playing, right? And yet you would drove you did crazy. Did you watch? Did you watch? I, well, it's hard. You have to. I feel like you have to be at the game to truly notice it, right? Because the cameras aren't always on that bench. No, they huddles. aren't. But even if they do give you a shot when you're watching it, there, just check it out. Uh, you, you got it. I, I, I definitely want to. But you, you brought up an amazing uh, uh, fact, I guess, which is that players oftentimes don't pay attention to the coach, and they're out there scanning the crowd, whether they're looking for girls or just seeing what's going on. <laughs> I just, I, you know, it takes a, a player who's been in this game to actually reveal something like that, right? To truly know it. Uh, but this time now you're saying what's driving you crazy is hearing the fans offer their critique. Well, as a player, did you, could you, do you notice fan commentary? Is it obvious to you or can you tune it out? Like what, like how often does that get to you? Well, I, I try to tune it out, but then sometimes I, I can only take so much. 
mean, a couple of times, especially when my boys are playing and I'm hearing somebody say something about them and I'm doing something. And then I, I and, and finally I have to, I just get to the point where I could take it to a certain amount and pff, all of a sudden that's it. It's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. right? <laughs> and so I finally yeah. just have to say something and I, and I ask them a, a question and everything makes them realize how stupid they really are. <laughs> Oh man, that is funny. But the but the way earlier you said he had five sons who played pro basketball. I counted four: Scooter, Brent, John, Canyon. Who's the fifth? Drew. Oh duh, my bad. Drew played with Gary Payton. In fact, yeah, and, oh, and, yeah. I, I mean, missed that. I just forgot that. That's crazy. Yeah, look no, at your Drew DNA, played, man. What's Drew going played, on? With Drew played. Drew played great. In fact, he could have played. You know, even longer. I mean, without question, he would. He he was. He had another job to go overseas and do it. And unfortunately, his 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 daughter. Kylie, who wound up having uh, had, had a childhood cancer that she had only thirty oh. percent chance of survival, and thank God she's doing great, and oh, thank she God. was able to survive that. And and he had to, you know, basically give up his career. But uh, Drew was a heck of a player. I mean, he really was. He, How many he, grandkids he, do you have, Rick? Nine. You have nine grandkids? No, no, eight, actually. So uh, any I of them? I count you as my ninth one. Thanks, sir. I'll, I'll uh, happily <laughs> accept that honor. Uh, <laughs> what, yeah, every one of my, all the kids have two. John has two boys. Uh, Brent has two boys. Uh, Scooter has a boy and a girl. And Drew has a boy and a girl. So of those eight, are any have prospects for being the, uh, the, the part three of the lineage I think, for playing? I don't think, I don't think so. Okay. Interesting. Is it? Do you think it's because of the the parents not pushing the kids, or is it just a talent thing? Like, no, they played and they did some things, and uh, but none of them uh, played at a level that would you know give them an opportunity to get a college scholarship or anything. Nobody's done anything of that nature. So but they're all good kids, which is the most important thing. So Rick, maybe you could help me out here. I have, a, I have an eight-year-old step kid who I'm starting to get into basketball, and this, and you could apply this um, advice to any parent out there listening who has kids of their own. Like, what, in your opinion, is the best way to get a child interested in basketball? Well, what you do is you expose them to the various sports, see which ones they take a liking to, and then support them in that, and then get them totally and completely immersed in the fundamental principles and concepts of that sport. So they have a foundation to build on a fundamental foundation of how the game should be played. Okay. So critical. And that's what it should all be about and support them, but don't try to make them do what you want them to do. Let them make the choice and support them. There you go. All right. And again, I, I, it's to me, it is one you you're such a fascinating individual besides you personally and then your playing career. But five sons who have played professional basketball, yeah, the, the I mean, odds are pretty remarkable. I mean, five it boys is. all get Division one college scholarships, all five to play professionally. Um, yeah, I mean, one of them, a lot of trivia questions for, you know, with relationship <laughs> to the Barry family when it comes to that. And, you know, I mean, a whole a cool one was when uh, my well, this is another great one is my wife. Lynn mm -hmm. and Canyon, our son, uh, are the only mother and son combination in the history of Division One college basketball to have the mother and the son be two-time first-team academic All-Americas. And Canyon even was the academic All-America of the year in his uh, in his uh, last year. Well, Canyon, I would say, is like the brightest genius of all your sons. Is that? He's I mean, pretty, what was Brent? Yeah, Brent was very smart as well too, and they're all you know intelligent guys. But yeah, Canyon's a—he just got his master's in nuclear engineering. That's insane. So, but he's yeah, that's a pretty cool thing to have. Yeah, that. and then first time uh, in the modern era of basketball to have a father on an NBA championship team and a son on an NCAA championship team. That was Scooter when he played on the championship team at. Uh, 
at Kansas uh, with Danny Manning, Danny and the Miracle. Yeah. So that was that was kind of cool. And that is yeah, cool. there's a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of different churia things that are there. I think I'm the only father, mm-hmm. the only father to have five sons get Division One <laughs> college basketball scholarships and all five play professionally. That's another one. I think that's a record that will never fall. That's just my humble opinion. That's my yeah, humble opinion. I mean, opinion. the odds, the odds <laughs> I, I was hoping you don't have one of them be good enough to play a little bit because I can, I, Cyrus, I, I, I can't even express adequately what a joy it was for me to watch my boys play. I mean, I'm hoping that Canyon gets a chance to continue to play. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I just love watching my boys play basketball because they play it the right way. And it's such a thrill for me to be able to see them play the game and, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that, that Canyon gets a break and can continue to play because he could play for at least another 10 years if he gets the chance, if he decides to, you know, to do it and gets with the right situation. But I know that he can really, really play and somebody would make a steal with him. And, you know, when I talk about my kids, I never talk about him as their father when it comes to talking basketball. I know the game. I know whether somebody can play or not. And I am telling you, my son can play. And somebody would get a steal for him. I mean, he can get a minimum contract and somebody would be thrilled to have him because he could really play the game. In fact, Chris Mullen just saw him playing a three-on-three thing because he played on that championship team for the World Cup. Right. Uh, first goal that they won. I talked about that. And Chris, you know, got back to me and said, oh, my God, Rick, I had no idea your son could play like that. He does all the good things. I said, yeah, well, you know, help get him in the NBA. Well, yeah, I think he's an NBA player. And Chris agreed with me 100%. I mean, I, I just don't know what people are looking at and watching, but. Hmm. he's he's uh, the ultimate team player and can play the game so well if, if anyone who is in the position of nba personnel is listening right now canny and barry yeah. dial his number yeah. get him on your team um i, I want to mention real quick change the subject and thanks so much for being opening up and sharing all this amazing family information and history uh what drives me crazy um I, i'm going to revert back to uh, a subject we mentioned a few moments ago bill simmons who clearly owes you an apology or at least at a minimum reach out to you get you on his show so he can at least clarify his comments in his book uh but bill simmons uh, did post something very interesting which is that right now we have 38 players in the nba who are averaging six three-point attempts per game 38 which is unheard of reggie miller in his career never did that um, and the number one player on this list, and that's the one that's truly driving me crazy, is James Harden. Every time I watch him play, it drives me nuts. Whether it's the flopping, whether it's that weird step back three that oftentimes draws people to jump up and come close to his landing space, drawing those three free throws. But right now, James Harden is averaging 14 three-pointer point attempts per game. That's because he's got a co- he's got a coach that encourages that. Yeah, and he only hits twenty seven percent of them. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Okay, is that Mike D'Antoni has to reevaluate. I mean, if a guy <laughs> is going to shoot fourteen times and shoot twenty seven percent, he has no business shooting that shooting the None. three point shots. He really None. doesn't. Not if you're shooting that percentage. That's a, that's like I say, thirty is bare. Is that's you, you can maybe get by with that, but twenty seven, no way. But 33 is, you're saying 33 is your Mendoza line, right? Anything below that? No, 30 30 30? is, if if you're at 30, you're okay because you're up into the 40s. But, you know, because not everybody shoots 50% from the field. Right, that's I mean, true. most players shoot 45, you know, if you're shooting 45 yeah. to 45 to 50, that's, 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 you know, good shooting. You know, if you get up to 50, that's really terrific. Above that is outstanding. And so that's, that's the criteria that you would use, the standard that you would use. And so for the three-point shot, you, you, 
you say 30 because that's equivalent to in that same two-point range, and that's what you have to equate it to. And then, obviously, if you, once you get to 33, now, hey, yeah, you're cool. You know, if you're shooting 33, fire away. Fire away. And here's if an you're shooting four, If you're shooting 40, take 20. Right, not right. 14. <laughs> And here's an interesting player on this list of the 38 who are averaging three point or six three-point attempts or more is that Carl Anthony Towns right now is heaving up nine three-pointers a game and hitting 47% of them. And you know How, what? That's, that's incredible. That's, that is. That's absolutely amazing. A guy his size to shoot him that well. And I would have as a coach no real problem with him doing that because yeah. if, if, if you're making 47% of your three-point shots, so that's 47 out of 100 shots, okay, times three. That's 141 points. That's 70% from the field. That's incredible. Okay. How do you tell a guy not to shoot when he's doing that? <laughs> Say, take more. Uh, really? That That's what it comes down to. Take more. I mean, but the thing is, when you're taking six shots a game and you're shooting under 30%, you, your coach is crazy for allowing you to do it. He should say, you can't take them anymore. No more three-point shots. I mean, you know, or cut back on them and everything. I'll, you know, if you if you can get yourself up to over thirty percent doing stuff, I'll, you know, fine. You can go back to shooting fourteen. But if you're shooting twenty seven percent, I don't want you shooting the three. That sounds right. You know, start driving to the basket, get to the line like you do. You're getting there 12, 13 times a game. So if you stop taking all those, you'll probably get to the line twenty times a game. <laughs> and you're going to make a much higher percentage from there than you are from three point shooting. Absolutely. And again, uh, see, it all comes down to the coaches. I was just had the the, the honor of, of presenting a patriotic award on the Fox nation show that they did. And they gave these awards out and I gave an award out to a coach who was an actual police officer who was coaching a minor league hockey team. And hmm. you know, he just said, if you're going to disrespect the, the, the national anthem, get the blank out, you know, off the team. He said, you'll never see the ice here and all. And so anyway, he got the award. I had a chance to, to do it last night in St. Petersburg mm -hmm. uh, at a theater. And it was, so it was fun. Uh, Lou Holtz was there and gave out an award as well. Really? But, okay. But in talking to this coach, he even came down to, it, and I agree. All of the stuff that happens in sports and doing things, the majority of the problems that exist fall on the coach's shoulders. And whether or not that's justifiable is, is no, a it is justifiable. Story. It's the coaches. This and stuff that the players do. If a player is out there playing selfishly, it's the coach's fault, not okay. the players. Fair enough. For allowing it to happen. All of this stuff about these guys with all the celebrations when they started doing stuff, which they didn't do in the old days. Okay. You could say old school, whatever you want to do. It's a different mentality, a different thing, but the coaches are the ones responsible for allowing it to happen and to become a commonplace. Yeah. Because the coach can nip it in the bud. It's very simple. Cyrus, you do that and you bring attention to yourself after you've already done what you're supposed to be doing. and You're getting paid for, you're going to be sitting on the bench. Do you think you're going to keep <laughs> doing it? No, man, I'm with you on no, that. You're That's... not going to do it. You're absolutely not going to do it. And I'm not going to accept that. And the same thing, well, I'll get into this because another one drives me crazy. So please, I'll talk please. about it later. But no, I'll, I'll save it for another time. But I'm just saying, this is what happens. This is what the problem is. Stop allowing these players to do those things. It's gotten to the point now where they can't. I mean, it's even gotten to the point where it's so ludicrous on football. I get sick. A guy recovers a fumble or something in a game, uh -huh. and nine of the players run down to the end zone and all go down to pose to the camera. What the hell is that? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, one of the one of the uh, Morris twins. I think it was Marcus Morris, the one that's on the New York Knicks. Who, on a side note, easily the worst team in the NBA. Would you agree with that? The New York they're Knicks. Pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, pretty what's, bad. 
that and that is an example of the doo doo rolling from the top, right? James Dolan. I don't know if you have a relationship with him or not, but man, that is not a good basketball owner in my in my opinion. Yeah, but he but he's not choosing the personnel. I know, but isn't he? But isn't sometimes like the the. I'm trying to think what the right word is. You're like the mood or like the, 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 the your, your actions often inspire leadership and oftentimes carry yeah, but down. You're still, but if you're going to be the one, unless it's his general manager, the one, if he doesn't get a good general manager or the president of basketball, or the president, whoever, it's the hiring. It, it, it comes down to having the right people making the decisions you make because, as I told you, in a team sport, who do you draft? Who do you get in free agency? Who do you trade for? It's all about getting the right players with the right, right. attitude who know how to play the game the right way. And that's where it comes down to. And so as an owner of the team, if we're getting bad personnel, the guys that are making those choices are not going to be working for me. But here's the thing. The, the Knicks have been bad for the better part of 20 years. So if you don't blame Dolan, who do you blame? Right? Well, you I mean, blame him for making the bad choices of hiring the people who do the other yes. ones, and then you got to get rid of those people until you find the right people. So yeah, he has the responsibility of that yeah. to not allow it to keep going on and make the changes that you have to make. God, that is such a disastrous organization. And I, and I guess I, I, part of the reason why I blame Dolan is because just a year or so ago, he had that spat with a, a Charles Oakley where he, he kicked Oakley out of the game, and that led to a lawsuit. I think he banned Oakley from, from Madison Square Garden, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I just, that was unfortunate. I mean, no question. But it, also, it all comes down to, you have, like we talked before, a coach hires the right assistant coaches. Well, the general manager has to hire the right coach, but right. he also has to make the right decisions with the personnel. And so it comes down to who is making the personnel decisions for the players. And that person is the one that needs to get fired if it's not working out. Mm -hmm. Because if he, and then, but you also have to be intelligent enough to understand if he got you the right personnel, but that personnel is not being utilized effectively and properly. And then, then it comes on the coach. If the general manager gets the right people, then it's on the coach to be able to make them into something special because you got the right people. If the coach didn't make those decisions and the personnel is not very good, then the general manager needs to be fired. Right. And the whole reason why I brought them up is because, and I can't remember if it's Marcus or Markeith, one of the Morris twins, just slammed the ball like he was uh, spiking a football just in the middle of the game, almost like he wanted to get kicked out and he did. They ejected him for it. Um, and that was just an example of a player just behaving very poorly, right? I mean, you just you shouldn't do that. Uh, it's it's crazy. The, it was early the in the coach game, has to set the rules that have to be abided by by all the players, and the yep. key element to it is, is he has to be established a relationship with his star player or players to get them to buy into what he's trying to get the team to do. Because if your star players don't buy into it, you have no chance. There you go. You could follow me on Twitter at Dog Surf Rocho. Rick, how can people follow you? Uh, Rick24Barry, and check it out. And again, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. We went a little long today, but that's, that's right. okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We can do whatever the hell we want. That's exactly. the beauty of doing a podcast. <laughs> hey, have, exactly. have a good rest of the week, folks. I'm heading down to the University of Miami for uh, something. Hey, I got to wish out because you'll probably listen. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Dock is one of the most diehard basketball fans ever. He's an attorney in New York, just a great guy, does a lot of wonderful things, has a great family. But I have never met someone who is as nice a person who loves the game of basketball as much as he does. He's been around, hangs around with the big three and all the other great stuff that goes on with that. So uh, happy birthday to Bradley Dock, my dear friend. Beautiful. Rick, always a pleasure, sir. Yeah, all I have to do is say that, uh, you know, uh, we're all so blessed when you think about it and you look at what's going on around the world and even some of the people who are think they're in such dire straits here 
are far better off than so many people around the world. So just count your blessings mm -hmm. and just be a good person, do the right thing, and may God bless all of you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.